This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Enough. Enough. Enough of I can't. Enough of life is hard. Enough of my story is different. Enough of being the victim of your life, playing a small, secondary, insignificant role, while you can have the primary, leading, big role. You have what it takes to be empowered, successful, and live blissfully on earth. Your moment to rise is now. Your time to shine is today. What are you waiting for? Our guest today is an amazing woman. She went through many, many, many challenges and managed always to turn them into light, into lessons, into growth, into service. Her life, when you say it, it seems easy, but it's her magnificent gifts of surrender, of flow, of acceptance, of humor that make it this way. Let's listen to Sheila's story. Sheila, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you so much for accepting my invitation and honoring me with your presence on the Empowered podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It means a lot to me. <laughs> I know your story is a powerful one and it will help many other women out there. So let's start with the usual question. Who is Sheila? Oh, who is Sheila? That's always a difficult one, isn't it? Examining it is. yourself. Yeah. Uh, when I've been to Ara or places like that before where I've helped students uh, with their public speaking and their skills there because I have been a Toastmaster for many, many years and I enjoy sharing the skills and expertise I have from Toastmasters. And I say, well, it probably looks to you that everything in my life has been easy and simple, but I do have an example like this. I simply say... If you have a lemon, you make lemonade. Uh, but if you're given a box full of fermenting lemons, then you very simply make marmalade. And I think that in some ways describes my life because I have had a few times where I say life's going along smoothly and then everything fallen flat on my face and I've had to pick myself up and start again. Wow. Do you know that this is the first time I ask somebody about who they are and they don't reply with their roles but really about you know how they see themselves and I love that so how do you define yourself Sheila? <laughs> oh that's a very good question isn't it? <laughs> don't define myself really I mean it's you know if you ask the philosophical question it would be I am that <laughs> because the thing is we always see how others define us and mm. we own that but what about us taking the lead and defining ourselves and the way we define ourselves is the way we are in the world so how do you see define yourself 
Well, I don't define myself as separate from anybody else. So I see us all as one in the world and basically how we help each other in the world, really. If we look at people in our lives, it's not how much some money somebody earned. It's not the great role that they had uh, they're attached to in some way. It's what did they give to the world, you know, we should measure people by what they gave to the world, not what they took from it. Wow, that's very powerful. It's about the impact and the fingerprint. Some people, they come to this earth experience and they leave. They don't even think about fingerprint or impact. They are just on survival mode all the time. How do you see that? Well, that's just, you know, that's the way of the world, isn't it? That's living living, the, li- living yeah. the, the human life that we all have to go through. Uh, that's how we we have to um, have jobs and do things, etc. get money to feed families. So those are all part of what we do. But I guess what I'm trying to say is we can be part of the world. We don't have to be of the world. Yeah, that's so true. We are so much, you know, worried and concerned about the day-to-day life that we forget why the reason of our creation uh, that we didn't come actually just to eat and uh, get kids and work and but to make earth a better place when we leave Uh, and that's a question that that's something that many people they don't even think about and I think it's an advanced type of thinking it's not for everybody if you're struggling on survival mode, you kind of think about these things. So tell us about your story, your metamorphosis story, your change story. What made Sheila, Sheila? What shaped Sheila? Oh, well, let's see. Um, in, my, in my life, though, I think I have to be fair. This, I, I had a very good childhood. And one of the big advantages I think I have in my childhood which I'm so grateful for, is my grandmother lived with us. And that's a very powerful thing. I think sometimes in our modern day life, we separate the families. You know, the grandma lives somewhere else, children live somewhere else, and they don't get that experience to grow up with that older person, that older, wiser person. So I feel so fortunate, and so many times now in my life, as I get older, I remember the things that my grandmother did. Not necessarily what she said, but what she did, and that's very powerful. So I've got to say, that's what makes you too think about what's the most important thing as she was dying of cancer in her bed. She said to me, the most important thing is your health, and it's true of all those things, but I probably still did things that perhaps weren't the best for my health, but but, okay. but now I look at it and understand exactly what she's saying. You know? Yeah, they're very wise. Mm. Yeah, the elderly are very, very wise. And we don't understand their wisdom till That's very, right. very late. That's right. Yeah. yeah so I, had, I was very fortunate, and I'm sorry, my hat goes out to anybody who's had to battle with all sorts of things to do with their families and the difficulties they were brought up into. So... Um, you know that that's that's a hard start. So for me, I did have that wonderful start. But um, my life, my I met a young man when I was sixteen years of age, and we ended up getting married. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. It was one of the hard, toughest lessons of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, very good, wonderful young women, because at those days, like a lot of young women. 
all my salary went into my our joint account. <laughs> and then mm. it's not till you separate you realize all his money went into his own account, wow. and he lived an entirely different life. So um, th- this was one of the hardest things for me to realize that I had spent uh, seven years married to what was a complete um, uh, complete um, fantasy. It, mm. it was it was not real, and suddenly I got hit with. Uh, a lot of difficult things. I had a house like people did. I had a mortgage. Um, my husband had gone overseas with his girlfriend. Uh, mm. The American Express wanted to be paid. They needed the money for, um, there was going to be a mortgagee sale. So all of those things I had to put up with. I had, uh, he'd left me with seven pages of lines and some of them had oh. things like uh, plumb the bath, hang a door. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are laughing at it, but I I am sure it was very difficult at the time. That's right. So anybody that came to my door, I said, how do you plumb a bath? And some people helped me. So wow. all of those things were good. And in the end, the house was able to be sold and I could start my life again. So that was wonderful. And then uh, many years later, I met a wonderful man and I was so lucky and I had this most amazing life. And we traveled all over the world and it was incredible. And I still feel incredibly fortunate. And would I do the same thing again? Yes. But unfortunately, he was killed in a car accident uh, when we were in America. And he was working there. And I just got a job working for an Afro-American dance company. I was so delighted to be there. Mm. But my life just fell apart again. And I came back to New Zealand and had to pick myself up again. Uh, right from the beginning of that life, so and he was the love of your life, and yes, and told I told me once that's yeah. right. And so then, what happened was I had to um, how do I deal with with death, a sudden death, and for anyone here who's experienced it, mm. that's not easy. Grief, in, and, any yeah. any death isn't uh, suddenly they've disappeared out of your life, and it's very hard. They take part of you in that. Yes, so yeah. that's when I really found uh, a greater solace in meditation and uh, looking at a more philosophical path of life. So I guess that was my wake-up call. Yeah, your awakening happened Mm. when you lost the love of your life, right? Yes. We call it soulmate or twin flame or whatever. Do you think he was your soulmate? Uh, Well, we found each other later in life, but we certainly had a very nice, uh, very happy, very connected, yeah, Yeah. very nice. Mm. And we travelled all over the world and we're both... Very interested in, in mm. travel and going to new places. Wow, I love it. So your awakening happened when you lost your soulmate. Okay, then interesting story. <laughs> I know you, Sheila, but all those details are new yes, to me. Right. So what happened after awakening? What was awakening for you when you say I, my awakening happened? What, uh, what? Awakening was uh, how important a meditation those things are in your life. So looking at your life internally and going back in your life, I think just putting a bit of time aside to do that every day is such an important part of everybody's life. It makes such a difference to how well things go, how smooth things go. So that was a, an, an awakening in that way. Wow. Mm-hmm. Then what happened? Oh, well, what happened then? I uh, I decided that I have... A, How a, did you survive the grief? How, what helped you through that difficult time? Right, so the, the grief through that time was meditation. Mm. I joined a group of people who were involved in meditating. 
and uh, with a great philosophy. I did spend some time going over to the United States and I went to a meditation retreat over there. Mm. It was uh, one based around uh, business, but it was called Leading with Love and an interesting, I suppose, way of looking at business to lead business with love. And uh, from there, I ended up doing a master's in business as well. How old were you at the time? I was in my 40s then. So I went back to university and studied. starting over is starting from scratch is a theme in your life. Every now and then you start from scratch. The first marriage, then the second partnership. And then, okay. So you always find the, the, the energy and the courage to start over. That's amazing. Mm, well, I suppose it's it's one of those things that a lot of people have in their lives. I mean, you know, I can imagine refugees uprooted from their countries and their places, and then they have to start mm. again somewhere yes, else, not even knowing the language or things like mm. that. So that's another area I've always been compassionate towards, and I did spend quite a bit of time uh, helping a couple of refugee families here to uh, live in this town and um, mm. negotiate first six months of life. Wow, because you understand the difficulty of yes, I starting difficulty. over mm. from scratch. Yes, yeah. perhaps I didn't also say uh, after the first marriage, I ended up going to Africa. And wow. because that was the one thing I did realize I did have, which was called freedom. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was able to go there and work. I taught in Africa and Zimbabwe after independence for a couple of years uh, in, a, in a high school because they were short of teachers at that time. Wow. And, uh, and again, it was a wonderful, a wonderful learning experience. And like everything, you learn a lot about other people and other cultures. And that yeah. was empowering. There is this openness about you to travel to new places, know new people, help others that you, you don't know practically. From where you get that, uh, Sheila? Uh, well, probably because we were immigrants to New oh, Zealand as well. yeah. Okay. And I came as a baby. Oh. Uh, my f- family from where? From England, oh, from okay. London. My family were, um, you know, were, were in the Second World War. My mm. mother was nursing through it, and my father was at Bletchley Park. And so, so their lives had been, I suppose, like most people from the Second World War, their lives had been thrown mm. asunder. So they knew what it was like to walk through streets of of bombed homes Mm. in the middle of London. And they knew my mother's own family home had been bombed. She lost her own father, or he disappeared because they never found a body in the Second World War. And I knew from my grandmother what it was like because my grandmother lost her first husband in the First World War and her second husband disappeared in the Second World War. So she also knew what it was to have to start life and start again a second time. So Mm. a new loss. So I think, as we were saying about my grandmother and being brought up, what an important story that was to have Mm. somebody who had been through through that and to be brought up with them. Wow. Mm. Oh, I love it. I love it. The ability to start over whenever, you know, a chapter of your life is closed. It, it's it's amazing because it's a huge ability. It's a, it's a huge gift to be able to start a new chapter after you've been destroyed or you've the, the previous one was very, very painful. So mm. tell us what happened after. 
you going through grief and starting over? Oh, grief and starting over. Well, again, I put myself the challenge of university and then I decided that if children of 18 could go to England and work, why couldn't I do it? So I did. So I went on my own to England and uh, I did find a job. I won't say I found it very easy. It was quite hard because I was 40 or something at the time and uh, finding work and but it was it was very interesting I ended up working in an area I didn't know about which you wouldn't know now which was in the IT research industry and I found it fascinating and I did love learning new things every day but in the end I decided to come back to New Zealand my mother was here and she was getting older as well so it was important to retreat and come back here to this life style that I have here. Wow. I see you as a free bird whenever the soul is calling. You follow the soul call, you know, Africa, United States, London, you know. Do you see yourself as, do you, do you cherish your freedom? Do you uh, see it as a gift? Well, I think everyone should uh, should cherish freedom. I'm afraid mm. in, in this free world that we live in as a democracy, I probably don't cherish it enough. I mm. think we have to have the experiences of other cultures coming to us who have had to live under oppression, you know, and difficulties and war uh, to really understand that. But certainly it's something we should stand up for. Uh, it's a very important part because, of what we do. Yeah, because I see you as fearless. Sometimes people, they have the resources to travel and go, but they refuse because they are afraid of the external world. Oh, but you are not actually. No, I guess I. Well, yes, I love <laughs> I, it. I don't, it's, yes, it's, it's like a fish in the water in the sea. <laughs> wherever you go, yes, <laughs> you I, plant yourself and you blossom. <laughs> oh well, I think in a way, New Zealanders on a whole, that's probably part of their culture, mm. is this feeling of going oh, going somewhere. You know, it will be maybe she'll be right, but that kind of attitude that we will will make our way in yeah. some ways without worrying too much about everything being correct or the right time or the right place. Mm. I love it. I love it. <laughs> then what happened? Oh, I see what happened. Well, uh, people here know that we had a Christchurch earthquake. I suppose that was a fairly mm. traumatic thing like for most of us here. And I'm lucky again to be alive. So gratitude comes in here. Mm. I, I was sitting uh, in a place similar to this room that we're in, but there was a brick wall on one side and the whole brick wall fell down. Wow. Mm. Uh, and I was about 15 minutes before I was due at a meeting and mm. I often give thanks to the person who made the meeting one fifteen and not 1pm because otherwise I would have been in the middle of town wow. and uh, possibly covered in bricks or I could have been running down my hallway and also covered in bricks. So... It was just fortunate I was in upstairs. So that was our Christchurch story. It was bricks, miles of bricks, 20 metres of double brick wall fell down in the house. And another great memory is my neighbour climbing over the tower of bricks to peer through what had been my dining room wall and saying, are you OK, amongst oh, all God. the mortar and everything there. It was like a picture of something from the Navigator. And it wasn't until afterwards I realised what a mountain she'd actually climbed <laughs> until I went there myself and thought, oh my goodness, you've climbed <laughs> up about five or six metres to get to me. Anyway, so that was that was a big thing, of course, for everybody in Christchurch because that wasn't the real issue. The earthquake was one thing and we recovered from that. 
but it was how we were dealt with through the insurance mm. in those days. Instead of trusting us, I think they they made it more difficult for us to repair our homes, and it was a long challenge. And so I was out of my home for over three years. As I said, it with my property, it took um, it took three and a half years to argue about what they were going to do, and it took three and a half days to fix the problem that we were arguing about. Wow. <laughs> and I was proved right in the end because everyone else has had to go back and had their foundations fixed, and that's what I was arguing about, that my house needed to be lifted and fixed. So that was the issue, and then a lot of expense and time and stress, and possibly that was it, trying to balance work and the you were earthquake working. issues. Oh, okay. Yes, you I, were working. I the was time. the chief executive of a place called Community Energy Action, which uh, is one that is a charity, mm-hmm. uh, an NGO, non-governmental organisation, where we would go into people's houses and help insulate houses. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a very environmentally important. In this country, our walls are very thin, and uh, we don't have enough insulation, and of course, we lose a lot of heat. Mm. And with the price of electricity, people are finding they can't afford to pay their mm. electric bills. So this was a wonderful work that was started by a friend of mine, uh, Del Small. And she did that when she was in her 60s. So another tremendous wow. mentor mm. for my life. So after after that, I yes, I, sadly, I got a diagnosis of cancer. Wow. And that was when I ended up deciding to resign from my work and just put myself into getting myself healthy and dealing with the issues like the earthquake, um, you know, family issues as well from the earthquake. Because everybody, a lot of people, everyone had been disrupted. How did you react when you knew that you are, you were diagnosed with cancer? Uh, well, let's see. First of all, it's very hard when you were suddenly told that you have a three and a half centimetre tumour and it's already moved into your lymph nodes. The nurse had tears in her eyes and I was thinking, oh, this is bad. <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this is not good news. And so I suppose I wondered, was it worth putting myself through the treatment? That was the first thing in my mind. Was it really worth doing what the surgeon suggested? Because would I now just be better just to go home and wait out what days I had left mm. and at least, you know, that rather than have to put myself through all this treatment. Were you in acceptance? Like you're telling, you know, now you're, you know, telling us the story mm. as if you were in acceptance. Were you, you accepted that up front or? I, well, I accepted that that was the diagnosis okay. and you know, that they had done their best and that was that was the accurate diagnosis. And you were scared. And then there was, well, I don't know if I was scared. No, there was a treatment. So this was oh, this okay. treatment. And so um, this is this treatment ahead of what I could do. Mm. I could choose not to have the treatment or mm. I could choose to have the treatment. Okay. And that was it. I just saw it as a decision to choose to have it. To choose to have it basically was going to now be another probably about about two years of two yeah two years of treatment by the time I had the the operation the chemotherapy followed by the radiation followed by a year of intravenous drugs wow. so 
for me, it was just thinking, well, will I have this? And then the decision that I would have it, then you have to go along that route. So that's the route you go on and everything happens. How was Sheila mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the feelings throughout the whole process? Well, it's hard to say because sometimes those things are a roller coaster, aren't they? You know, I mean, you have your operation. Um, in my case, it was breast cancer. Mm. So it's quite traumatic as a woman. I, I might have mentioned, I mean, you know, when you're young, you don't necessarily, in my case, I didn't particularly want breasts. Mm. <laughs> that, was, that was quite, when a friend of mine told me she had a, a her mother had bought her a bra that she was quite convinced was was preventing her breast growing. Wow. That was the one I desired. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want these things. So, but now it was the opposite. You know, yeah. suddenly you had to have your breast removed and you had all the surgery. But I, I decided the was just to do the best with what you had mm. and to keep yourself as fit as you possibly could from then on. So, so you didn't resist the treatment, you didn't resist the diagnosis, you didn't resist No, no, I just you went tried. with the flow. I yeah. did, except I tried to manage... I, I I managed what was there as best as possible. Mm. You know, if people tried to put intravenous um, tubes in the wrong arm because I only had one arm, I would let them know. Mm. <laughs> uh, the surgeon, one of the surgeons told me, she said, well, you, you are the keeper, you're the patient, it's your job. I just decided I had the patient job, sorry. My wow. job was now patient, and the patient job uh, was to let people know when they had wow. things like where they put the where they put the tubes and what they did. Mm. So I was the holder of that information. That's how I saw it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Who helped you throughout the whole cancer experience? Oh, I was so fortunate. I had so many wonderful mm. friends who were very supportive. Uh, I liked walking, and so they came to my house and we would walk around the park. That was a very important part of my healing. Mm. I kept up exercise as much as possible. I walked up the hills with a friend. Uh, Every week we would do this. That was very important to me. And I even tried uh, the swim jogging in the swimming pool. I found it quite hard when I was bald, like admitting I was bald. So I used to put a quickly whip off my wig and put on a on a hat, <laughs> so no. no one would know. But everybody's <laughs> different. I didn't want to be a victim, and I didn't like to feel the victim. And that was one thing was important to me. And I bought lots of wigs, so I didn't um, buy one wig. I bought lots of lots and lots of these wigs through uh, through from China mm. so I kind of figured I'd outsourced my hair to China and that's what I'd done <laughs> like any business wow. outsources their work I'd outsourced my hair and I'd wear these different wigs uh, so every day I'd wear something different so I had red curly hair wow. I had long black hair I had some um, I even had an Amy Winehouse wig <laughs> so you were always part of the solution, not the problem. If you are given a problem, okay, let's think about the solution, no matter how hard the problem or the challenge is. That's true. Yes, wow. yes, yes. Always and think about about how you can, I suppose, improve it or make it better or mm. or help with the process. Go through it. Yes, be that's bigger, right. bigger than the problem. Yeah, because when you see yourself smaller, the problem will just. Some people, the cancer took them, but you've seen yourself bigger than the cancer. Mm. Do you think? This helped in some way, helped you through the healing process. Uh, yeah, so bigger than the cancer. I don't really see, ever see myself as bigger than anything, really. Mm. I, I, it's interesting because we don't know what cancer is and we still don't know, you know, is it, is it some weed that you 
basically, um, you know, kill or poison, uh, you know, um, and we end up poisoning all our body. What is it exactly? Is it something that lives within us and we just like a child, we have to redirect? Mm-hmm. So I often think of that as the cancer something that lives in us all and we have to think about how are we going to, how are we going to, um, you know, to, to deal with that because the cancer doesn't want to kill us either. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to have somewhere to live. Yeah. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So I think about that, but I keep it at bay, and I think that's very important. I think keeping your exercise and your fitness and eating really a good food, which is very important to me. I make a lot of food of mine from scratch. I, I would hardly ever buy anything uh, mm. that was already... Uh, already already made up mm. make sure I know exactly what's what's in what's my food in, yeah. and I try and decrease my pesticide loading as much as possible so you're more responsible about your body and what you put inside oh yes I think yeah. so it's very important in which way this experience changed you and how it turned you into the empowered woman you are today tell mm. us a bit about it well, I realized other people were going through it. I always think about other people. And so I ended up writing a blog. I, I walked the El Camino de Santiago, which you may know as the way of St. James. It's yeah. a pilgrim's route since the 15th century. I found that empowering. I did that mm. on my own. I've never really gone on a walk like that on my own completely. And that was very empowering mm. because I met people every day. I met somebody new and then I wrote about them because I had a bit of time on my own in the evening. I wrote a blog about a little about them and meeting them and the experience and tried to synthesize that down to some kind of view or point. And then the blog, we turned the blog into a book with wonderful help from people from my Toastmasters group. And the book then is for uh, cancer research. Mm. And so any funds from that book was to help cancer research. So I'm a great believer in that. I think that this thing happens to us. What can we do to help other people? Tell us about the title of the book and how can the audience get it if? Uh, well, they are, uh, yeah. that's right. If they're interested, they can come back to this program and yeah. I can send them a book. Yeah. Uh, the book is available through me. It's called Dancing Around Cancer. Wow. I've always admired the title Dancing with Cancer. Yeah. Because you are dancing with cancer, right? Yes, well, dancing around it. So all, all mm. the whole whole thing is part of my journey through cancer. Uh, basically, what I'm showing you is humorous anecdotes of around cancer because not to say everything is is wonderful when you have it but just to say that you will find good things out good things in unexpected places and it doesn't matter what the situation is there's always something that you can find joy gratitude or humor in it depends on where you are looking at the you know, the bright side or, you know, the dark side. So it's always about directing your attention to the bright side. I think so. Yes, I think so. I mean, obviously, I don't always live in the bright side. (laughs) I think It's a nice idea, but, you know, there are are times like everybody, we have fear or human, but it's good to remind ourselves what are the most important things. What I always say, Sheila, is... With life and, you know, the challenges of life, we always, there are ups and downs, but it's about how fast 
we bounce back from the bad is what determines how awakened we are, how healed we are, and how mindful we are. Some people, when they reach, you know, the, the low side of it, they remain there for long. But no, as awakened people, we know that we should dance with life, with, you know, what life throws us. And that's why I love dancing with cancer, dancing with life, yeah. That's true, thank mm. you. Yes, I agree. And I suppose that's a, a message, I think, for young people. Yeah. You know, like, this too shall pass. And I think it's very important for them to know that when you've had a limited experience of life, you may not think something terrible happens in your life. You may think that that's it forever. Life's not worth living. But I guess I want to say, even as a cancer victim, that it is worth living, you know, and it is worth living and whatever is happening will pass and the Mm. light will come. 100%. So the awakening, the healing... Now, let's talk about the empowerment part of it, actually, and all what you have started doing. The book is one of the things that, you know, uh, happened after uh, being cancer-free. So you've been cancer-free for how long now? Oh, it's seven years now. Oh, wow. Seven years since the operation. Tell us about your journey those last seven years. Uh, Through that journey? Well, yeah, uh, I how you started helping and being of service. All oh, right, and, yeah. okay. So the things, all the amazing things you've <laughs> been doing. Things <laughs> I do is uh, I started Christchurch Women's Toastmasters many years ago, and this is one way I feel is very important for women because I've built up these skills over a number of years of public speaking, and I like to help other women to empower other women by finding their voice. I would like women to feel courage. Mm. And I know that's not easy. And I'd like women to feel supported in whatever they do and feel empowered. So part of that and my way I can help is to help people to speak out when they want to, to be able to tell their story and stand up and tell their story. And as women, sometimes I think we do tend to sit back and let other people do this. But it really it's time for women to have their voice heard and stand up together and support each other. Wow. I've been part of the Toastmaster Club and I know it has helped many, many women, you know, stand in their power and speak up and turn into empowered women. So amazing job, really, Sheila, from the heart. What else are you doing? I know being a writer, a Toastmaster, what are your other gifts? I know we have talked about creativity before getting started with the podcast and yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so one of the things I also did most recently was look at four, your four key um, attributes of life, the things that you bring. And I think it's so important. <laughs> Some of these can do these things online and they're very cheap. Um, VIA Institute has them for free. And you can pull out the, the four things in your life that you should put in. And one of mine is creativity. Yeah. So creativity is a very important part of my, my life. Mm. I can do other jobs, but um, I think it's important for me to put creativity in. So I try and do that. And uh, poetry writing, at the moment I'm doing a poetry class with a wonderful teacher called Joanna Preston. And so we write poems. I'm also part of the New Zealand um, Authors Society. It's called the Children's Literature Hub. So it's just for people focused on writing for children. So Mm. I'm focused on writing children's picture book stories at the moment. 
Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Seeing the journey you've been through and all the challenges life, you know, faced you with and coming today and doing what you are doing, being of service, trying to have an impact and help whoever you can help. How do you see the future? How, how do you see, what's your vision, the vision you hold for the future? Well, where do you see yourself five years from? Oh, today? I see. <laughs> I'm not sure that I see myself in five years. But I would say I'm retired. I retired, but not tired, as I say. I'm retired, yeah. but not tired. So there are lots of wonderful things, I think, out there for us to be able to help other people. I like the idea of helping. Keep creating. Keep people creating service. things. Yeah, so I, I hope that uh, my stories will be published. I also am planning to do more public speaking and tell my story about cancer mm. and my journey and obviously continue fundraising for cancer research. Wow, I love that because people, when they are going through those difficult times, they don't see the end of the tunnel. But meeting somebody who went through the same journey and, you know, came, you know, not only survived, but is, you know, truly empowered and powerful will help them throughout the healing journey. So what's the one advice you give to all the women out there struggling and listening to us today, Sheila? Well, I'll probably go right back to the beginning again. You know, sometimes life gives you, gives you lemons, make lemonade, or sometimes life gives you a whole load of basket full of fermenting lemons and citrus then make marmalade you know and so whatever's there there'll be something that you can do and create with it or be with it it everything opens up another kind of opportunity I think no matter what and the point to me is for us to support each other as women so if I say anything else it's it's support other women uh, learn to be able to speak out find your voice find your interests I believe that's very important. Wow, that's very profound. I'd like to finish with one thing. I know that you've used humor and, you know, fun and joy as tools to help you through and that's what you spread around you. So tell us how fun and humor helped you throughout your journey and, you know, in all what you're doing. I th well, I think humour does. There's so, there's so many stories. Again, if you look, look at anything that happens from the cancer journey to all of these things, there's always some kind of humour. So I just say every, every time from going to the hospital to uh, dealing with my wigs uh, when they uh, fell off my head and went tumbling, tumbling down through the runway to be this person, bald person, chasing this wig. All of these things, you know, that they're humorous. You can laugh at you yourself. You learned that or you had it inside of you? I you learned how to be? I think my, well, part of, part of my attributes is humor. So wow. I'm always going to find something that... I love uh, it. You're uh, like an alchemist turning <laughs> any darkness into light. That's right. So I yes. love it. If you think of it, if you think of your life like a story, then there's always something about it that uh, that wow. can make you laugh, doesn't it? What a wonderful woman you are, Sheila. I hope you can see it, and I hope our audience, you know, they can see it. So thank you so much for 
honoring me with your presence and sharing openly and in a authentically your story so we can learn and learn from it and get inspired by it thank you so much well thank you very much for inviting me thank you empowered our series of podcasts about women who went through hell and emerged empowered women who are alchemists and managed to turn pain into power empowered our stories about awakening, healing, and empowerment. Don't listen only for entertainment. Listen for inspiration and ignition. If you have a story to tell, let us know.